What kind of results does God expect of us, though? Well, let's go look into the first apostolic church. And when I say the first apostolic church, I'm not talking about the one up the road here. I'm talking about the first church that God uh, commissioned on the day of Pentecost. And we can find that story in Acts chapter 2, and this is where we're going to find our evaluation. Let's evaluate this church before we begin to evaluate ours. Let's, let's evaluate the first church and then evaluate ourselves in comparison to them. We have a tendency to do that and we always fall short. But let's see why. Well, first of all, we see that their preaching stirred people to action. That is, they got results when they preached. They didn't just sit down and, and say, well, I've got to say something for 45 minutes, and it's my turn to preach, so I'm going to fill 45 minutes up of something. No, they put their heart in it, and they went forth, and they preached with conviction, and they got results. In Acts 2.37, we can see, it says, now when they heard this, that is the message that Peter preached, they were pricked in their heart. That means the word pricked means that they were stirred. It means uh, it was agitated. You know, like a, a washing machine agitates your clothes? Amen, stirs it up. That's, uh, stirring and agitation means the same thing. It means to prick. To prick something means that, that you are getting down into the depth of that and agitating it up. Some of us have a surface zeal for God but when the preaching is preached, it gets down below the surface and pricks that heart and gets into your heart. Now, the word, the word heart is uh, cardio, which means it is uh, dealing with the things of the mind and the emotions. Preaching should stir the emotions. It should stir the mind. It should make you think. When you hear a message that is preached from God, amen, and through the man of God, it should bring you to think about what you're doing. And it should stir you to take some kind of action. We're not doing this for the fun of it. I'm not here today to entertain you. I'm here to preach the word of God so that it might change your life and make your life better. And I've got to tell you the truth. Peter told the truth that day. Boy, I'll tell you what. He said so much it might have agitated somebody. It probably aggravated some of them. But it does make you think. And it stirred people to take action. What kind of action did they do? They come to Peter and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They didn't have to get up there and do a pleading of an altar call. They were getting ready to go on their business, and these people run them down. So what do I need to do to make this right? That's the kind of preaching we want to reach for. And you don't have to tell me that. I already know I ain't there. But tell me where I am. Let me know. Don't just try to make me feel good. Hey, man, I want to know if I'm reaching somebody out there. I need feedback. I need this confirmation. And I should be able to see that in your actions. No one message is going to turn the world upside down. 
But as much preaching as some of you heard, you ought to be totally fired up. So I have to only suspect that maybe our preaching isn't getting the results that the early church got. So therefore, I want to do better. I told you we don't need to be bigger. We need to do better. We need to work better. I don't care if you're a good preacher. You can be a better preacher. I don't care if you can play a guitar good. You need to do it better. I don't care if you can witness good. You need to do it better. That's what gets people promoted. That's what brings blessings. That's what brings the anointing of God. David was anointed because his heart was in it. And he did things better. He killed a lion without the weapon. Did he not kill a lion with his bare hands? He took a giant down with a stone and a sling. David knew how to get results. And he wasn't afraid of nothing. That's the kind of preaching we won't have. Their shepherding, that is their teaching, their, their, uh, 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 their shepherding, discipling of people, also resulted in some things, got results... Uh, they got a steadfast adherence to the apostolic doctrine. And uh, they had a strong community identity as a result of that. We can find that in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly. The word steadfastly means they did this against opposition, against resistance. They went against the grain, Brother Randy, and they continued in spite of that. In the apostles' doctrine. Everybody else around them said, you're wrong. But they said, no, this is what we started with, and this is what we're going to finish with. Because Jesus said, don't change it. Any man that bring any other gospel, let him be accursed. They didn't go with the crowd. They didn't go with the flow. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship. You know the word fellowship basically means to have things in common with people. It doesn't mean it's always a chicken on the gra uh, ground or a fried chicken and all that and potato salad, banana pudding. It means you've got things in common with people. You've got things in common with the people here in this church. It means you've got an identity. You belong to this church. Uh, amen. When you come down here, it's not because you have to be here. It's because you want to be here. Fellowship. You love to be with the saints of God. We sing the songs, we're together again in one accord. Do you know what the word community means? Calm for communication and unity. I mean, they all basically are saying the same thing. They got all things in common. That don't mean we agree with everything. But we take our identity. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm an apostolic born-again believer in the liberating power of Jesus' name. I go to the church of Jesus Christ. That's my brothers and sisters. That's my family. Identify a strong identity with the church community. And uh, that was brought about by, amen, the teaching. Verse 44 says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. Again, doesn't mean that they believed everything, but they shared in some common beliefs. They believed they ought to be in church. 
They believe they ought to tithe. They believe they ought to support the church. They believe they ought to reverence the things of God. Many things like that. They all had these things in common. It's what a community is all about. If you're not in harmony with your community, you're a sociopath. You're, you should be kicked out because you don't belong there. They had a sense of belonging. You know, that is one of the strongest needs that we have in this world today is to feel like we belong somewhere, to identify with something. And I know no greater person to identify with than to say Jesus Christ is my Father. And you are my brothers and sisters, and I love you. You see, the people also respected the ministry, and they reverenced the things of God. In Acts 2, 43, it says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They just didn't run out and do wonders and signs. What brought that was that unity and that fear and reverence they had for the things of God, that agreement, living in the apostolic doctrine, living the life that they were supposed to be living. When you have a reverence for the things of God, then people begin to take notice and you get results. So these in themselves are results, but they help bring about results. That's why I'm bringing this to you because everybody can't preach, but everybody can live what I'm preaching. Amen? Everybody can identify with that spirit. Because we've all been baptized into that same body. That's what you do when you say you're going to belong to this church and become a member of it. It means you're in harmony with it. You're in that community. You're in fellowship with it. How did the church measure these results? We can't measure a person's heart, as I said. God can. God can look, a, and Deb can too sometimes. Deb does have a spirit of discernment. She has never been wrong on anybody she's ever warned me about. And she's had many people that she's told me, that one right there, don't trust. This one right here is going to be trouble. Now, I don't know whether it's self-fulfilling prophecy. Sometimes I always give people the benefit of the doubt, and I say, nah. But she's always turned out right. And God can do that, but I can't. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what's in your heart. Maybe Sister Foskey can see what's in your heart, but I can't. I do know that God knows. But that's not what I judge. We don't judge by what the feeling is and the emotion. We judge by what the truth says. And the truth is, is the life that you live, you can see the results. Amen? We can tell. We can count the numbers. In Acts 2, verse 41, I don't know whether I wrote this one down or not. Yes, I did. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Now, they didn't know their hearts when they baptized them. We assume that when somebody is baptized that, that they've made the repentance, they've done everything they're supposed to. You can't look in the heart. But sometimes you look on the outward appearance and you see how people behave and how they do. 
That's why I can look back there at Jason and I know, you know, God's working with him. You see, when God gets a hold of you, you can see that on the outward appearance. The person begins to change and people take notice. I can tell that in his prayer. That's why I asked him to pray. Because I want you to see it. To see what God's doing. Brother Jason, you are a result. Don't, uh, don't that make you feel good? I'm a result. You ain't an ugly baby. You're a result. You're a beautiful baby. Praise the Lord. I'll be happy to show you off. <laughs> I can't say I'm that happy about everybody that's come through. But we can count. They added 3,000 souls, about 3,000 souls that were baptized. They couldn't count hearts, but they could count bodies that's been baptized. We can't count the success, effectiveness of our Sunday school by the hearts of these children, but we can tell by the numbers that shows up whether we got a good Sunday school program or not. Amen? So we count the Sunday school row. We can measure it. It's not always precise. I think uh, Mark, and I keep using Mark, but he was using one of them calipers, I think. Is that what you call that thing? To measure uh, the diameter of something. <laughs> and it was off, wasn't it? But it gave us a good idea. We eventually got the right size. So it is a way that we can measure numbers. We're not in a book of numbers. We're in a book of acts. But numbers tells us something about how we're doing. Amen. Tells us whether our baby's ugly or not. And I begin to think we were having an ugly youth baby there for a while. Poor Mary Lou been out here studying for a Sunday school lesson and nobody's there sometimes. Now we can blame Mary Lou for that, but we can also blame some of the youth because when they get about the age of her class, that's when they start wandering off into the world and begin to, oh, Lord, what's that? Oh, my goodness, I want to play with this a little bit. But I think if you've got the word in them, they eventually see where they're at. And they're like the prodigal son. They realize there ain't nothing in that old hog pen that they're in. And they come on back home to the father. So, but we can determine how we're doing by measuring our Sunday school. That's why we have how many is in Sunday school. And I appreciate you, Amy, for counting that number. Amen. We always count Jesus. We understand that. Amen. He's the only one don't need to be converted. Rest of us we got to work with. Uh, steadfast adherence to the apostolic doctrine can be measured by observing how a person lives. You know, you can tell whether somebody's living for God or not, and I guarantee you the world can too. They expect certain things out of you. Sometimes they have a higher expectation of Christians than the Bible does. And sometimes I believe we ought to live up to those expectations just to win them to the Lord. You see, they did the things that pleased God, and they found favor with all men. They had a good witness, that is, in the church and outside of the church. They could get along with people. I can tell if somebody ain't living their life when they can't get along with somebody else. They're always fussing and fighting. We've had a few blow-ups here in the church. A few folks got angry and mad and ran off. Sometimes 
People's got to live their convictions and do what has to be done. And sometimes if it makes somebody offended, then they just get offended. If they're going to get offended and leave, then they never really had nothing in their heart anyway. I can count the ones that are lost by the number that is left. You say, Brother Stenny, are you saying you're right and everybody's wrong? I understand the terms in which people leave. I'm not saying that just because you go to another church that you're going to hell. I don't believe that for a minute. But I do believe if you can't get along with the folks in this church, you ain't going to get along with the folks in the next church you go to. And if you can't get along with them in that church, you ain't going to get along with them in heaven either. Some people say, I ain't going to sit next to so-and-so. Well, then if you both go to heaven, you're going to have a problem. So you better get over it. We can judge those things. They had a good witness. Community identity was measured by individual participation in church attendance. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We can tell whether you like being with us. Very easy. If I have a party and nobody shows up, I'm pretty much say you don't like my party. I must be a deadbeat. If you don't like coming to my church, and you're making every excuse on Wednesday and Sunday and whenever we meet that you got to do this and you got to do that. I can tell you, either I'm doing something wrong or you are. And if I'm doing it wrong, I want to know. Don't tell me. I've got a pretty baby. And then walk out the door and say, I ain't going back to that church. they got an ugly baby. Let me know why my baby's ugly. Give me some constructive criticism. Because I truly want to do best. I used to think that God was our customer. And it didn't matter what the people wanted. But I discovered God's the owner. This is his church. He's the stockholder. He's the one that owns it all. It's a family business, amen? And he's the big daddy. The big honcho. And I have to please him. But I ain't going to please him if I can't reach the customer who is the people that I'm preaching to and those out there in the world. I've got to be able to reach them. I've got to come up with new ideas, new ways to do this. And sometimes it helps to know that the old ways don't work anymore. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the new ways don't work. I was a big thing of the slide projector, but I... I've found also sometimes that can detract from the lesson rather than help it. If these things are interfering with you learning something, let me know. I'll quit using them. I save about $300 for every bulb that burns out. But I believe they help. Now, I can get up here and show you all the little, you know, shabam and the razzle-dazzle and all that stuff. That's not impressive. It can detract you. But I believe at the minimum, putting the Word of God up here ought to help you read it, especially since you're not bringing the Bible yourself. If you brought your own Bible, and you're sitting there following along, that's okay. But who knows, you might have brought King James Version, I might have the new, new King James Version up here, and you might think I said something wrong. It's good to be able to see it. And if I'm not a good preacher, it's good to put my points up there so that you can say, at least 
His slide was right. He, he was off track and doing rabbit trails, but his slide was right on the money. Let me know these things. Amen. Community identity was also known as uh, when you had fellowship meetings. We can tell if you identify with Jesus on whether you worship. And I can tell a lot of you don't like to raise your hands. You know, I've had people in this very church tell me that they're very upset because nobody worships. And then I look out there and that person that says that, don't worship a bit. They're too busy seeing if anybody else is worshiping. We don't need people to get nitpicky and critical of everything they see. Unfortunately, the people that do form an evaluation of this church never tell us about it anyway, but they'll tell everybody else about it. I want to know what I'm doing wrong. And I believe you ought to want to know that too. Because we want to do a good job. If I've hurt anybody's feelings, let me know. I apologize. I don't do a thing to hurt nobody's feelings. I really don't. But I think I would be doing you a disservice if I knew you were going to hell and I didn't tell you about it. I'm not going to point my fingers and judge you. But I need to tell you the truth. And you need to tell me the truth. If you don't understand me, if I'm too deep or too that, you know, uh, vain or whatever, I'm trying to think of the word here, I can't, can't come up with it. But too vague, that was it. If I'm too vague and you're saying, what in the world is he talking about? I hope you understood what I'm talking about today. Uh, so I ought to conclude here. I can tell if you belong when you don't pay your tithes. I can tell where your heart is. The Bible says where your treasure is, there's your heart. If you're putting your money into a lot of other things and you're not giving to the Lord, I can tell your heart is not in it. I measure that. And you know when I measure that, I can take it and I say, now what can I do? How can I get them to love God more? And I sit up late at night sometimes trying to work on the message that will break the ice, that will be the thing that changed somebody's life. But I've got to know whether I'm successful or not. The only way I can tell for sure is not when we leave church today and everybody shakes my hand and says it's a good message, but by the lives that I see people living out there. When I see you coming to church, and inviting others, and paying your tithes, and participating, and not making excuses. I can tell that I'm getting results. So I have to conclude today, though I don't want to, that our baby, my baby, you see, something that's always dear to you is always your baby, isn't it? My baby is not the prettiest baby. And I hate to acknowledge that. But I can see some hope. I think, I think we're going to grow out of a few things. When my firstborn was born, Tommy, my wife said, oh, he's so beautiful, isn't he? And I, I went up and looked at him and I said, oh, my God. Lord. His head looked like a football. I said, Lord, I hope that don't stay that way. But I'll still love him. 
you know, fortunately it did come back to the right shape. I guess that's coming down the birth control. <laughs> birth canal, that's not an easy trip, I can guarantee you. <laughs> it's not an easy trip to please God either. God has some high expectations of us. And everybody is not going to be perfect, I realize that. This is not going to be a perfect church. But I'd like to show off my baby every now and then down at Cleveland and say, look at her. She's so pretty. I don't want somebody to say, oh, she's breathtaking. <laughs> and walk away. Let me know how I'm doing, and I'll do my best to let you know how you're doing. In conclusion, we have to ask ourselves if we have an ugly baby because nobody else is going to tell us normally. <laughs> Look at yourself. Judge yourself more harshly than you would judge others. 1 Peter 4.17 tells us, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If we're so hard on ourselves, then what's going to be like for those that ain't even trying? Folks, the early church suffered reproach and criticism and persecution. But Paul wrote these words to warn them that that's okay. I, I encourage you. you. It's going to happen. People are going to talk bad about you. They're going to judge you unfairly. But here's what Paul wanted them to understand. Don't let anything they're saying about you be true. Such were some of you. Let there be no murderers or liars or things like that. They may call you a liar, but let there be no liars. Let there be a good witness in this church so we can have a pretty baby. 